0: Uh, the Old Testament, looking at how to live a courageous life. And we're gonna do that by examining the lives of some of the greatest men of our faith in the Old Testament. You know, if you've been here at Mount Pleasant any time in the last month, you have noticed that we really encourage people to go see the movie Courageous, which opened in theaters this weekend. And I wanna tell you, I wanna spend a few minutes this morning kind of helping you understand why we have put a lot of time and money uh, and people resources and manpower into encouraging people to go see Courageous. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission, lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I need you to listen very closely to me for about 10 minutes here, all right? Because what's gonna happen is I'm gonna be quoted on some things that I'm about to say. I understand that. It's being recorded, put on the internet. I know I'm gonna be quoted, but what I wanna make sure is very clear, crystal clear for all of us is the context of what I'm saying and the point of some of the things I'm about to say. Okay, so I'm gonna be quoted, but I wanna be quoted correctly. So if you hear me being misquoted, you correct the individual and say, hey, let's go play the tape in case you missed it uh, because apparently you didn't understand some things. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship With Jesus Christ. And I've told you from day one and even before day one when I arrived that my desire for us to do that, to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ is for us to do that as a contemporary church now hold on with me because what's going to happen people are going to say oh he just said he wants us to be a contemporary church and I've said from day one every time I say that that I mean the definition of contemporary from what the dictionary says you know how the dictionary defines contemporary it says this of the present or modern not a music style which is about what 95% of people when you heard me say a desire for us to be a contemporary church you went oh he's talking about a music style I'm not talking about a music style because those are going to change. What's contemporary today is going to be old school 25 years from now. It'll be antiquated 50 years from now. The music style is irrelevant, but what is relevant is the gospel and that we are communicating the gospel in the present modern age. That's the goal. That's the mission. That is what beats deeply in my heart. I've got a passion that we would lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now in 2011, in modern day current Colonial Heights, Virginia and the state of Virginia and the current United States of America and the world as it exists and as it operates and as it communicates and as it behaves in 2011. That's what I mean by contemporary, a modern day church. It is our call to take the never-changing gospel message of Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed. Jesus died for the world 2,000 years ago, and that's what we tell people today. Jesus died for you. The the gospel message hasn't changed. And we're to take that message and the the always applicable, the always practical, the always relevant truths of God's word— And we try to communicate them to a world that desperately needs them in today's culture using methods and strategies and approaches that meet people where they are so that they can understand them. You know, I'm just crazy enough to believe this. I believe that when we get God's word in contact with people, the Holy Spirit does a work and changes their lives. Call me radical, call me crazy, but that's the work the Holy Spirit does. We get God's word in contact with people and the Holy Spirit will do his work and will bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I mean, isn't logical that we would do that? You all would look at me like I had three heads if I started talking about doing strategies and methodologies to help us reach people that live in the 1850s, would you not? If I said this week, we're gonna start a covered wagon repair ministry, you're gonna think I have lost my mind. Or say, you know what? Some people can't afford to buy horseshoes for their horses. Let's pool our resources and let's start a horseshoe repair ministry. Right, you're the, you, you, Curtis, you've lost it. What is wrong with you covered wagons? And let's start a, a, a home-based uh, small group meeting for candle making. I don't know, that may still go today. Would that still, do you women get in some of that stuff, those funky scents and all that? Maybe that would work. But we talk about, you know, having mission strategies for reaching Indians and and for the slaves that we have. And we talk about uh, sending out mailers that, that people may get in their homes. And if the guy wasn't killed on his Pony Express mail route, maybe they would get the mailer telling you about events that are going on. I mean, if we were trying to reach people in the 1850s, it's going to look very different than it is today. But me starting to lead us in those strategies, that would be spiritual roundup for this church, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we would cease to exist and people would think we have lost all touch with reality in no time at all. I mean, it makes sense that we think about trying to reach people in the era, in the day, in the generation in which we live. And those things are going to change. They have already changed. And if we don't continue to change and adapt, then we will cease to exist. And we see it taking place in churches all across America today week by week, do a Google search for church buildings for sale. You will spend hours and hours trying to pick out the one that you want to finance and buy. They're everywhere. And I want you to understand, church, that one of the key measurements that that we look at to say, are we being effective in reaching people for Jesus Christ uh, is how many lives are coming to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. I mean, we look at, are, are we reaching people for Christ? Not that I don't care about discipleship and and, and feeding and helping people grow in their relationship and their walk with Christ because we're supposed to do that. Jesus gave us the great commission. He said, go, which is evangelism, take the gospel and do what? Make disciples. So we're supposed to be making disciples. But here's the thing, gospel-centered discipleship, which is at the center of what we do to help our people, those who are believers, grow in their relationship with Christ. Gospel-centered discipleship, leads to sharing the gospel with other people. That's how Jesus set up the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And then those disciples will go share the gospel with others and lead them to Christ and then begin to disciple them. But if we're preaching and teaching and developing disciples who aren't sharing the gospel and leading others to Christ, we are not making biblical gospel-centered disciples. That's how simple it is. The goal of discipleship is not for you or for I to sit and learn as much as we can about God and about the Bible and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. So we can say, wow, look how much information I now possess. If you think discipleship is all about you and your growth, you have missed the point of the Bible and Jesus coming to the earth you totally and completely have missed it because Jesus trained and poured his life into the 12 for a specific purpose. What was the purpose for the 12? To go and tell others about him and lead them to Christ and begin to disciple them so they in turn could go and tell others. The end goal of discipleship isn't us, it's others and leading those other people to Jesus Christ. So, church, we're not going to sit around in a holy huddle and do spiritual belly button gazing with one another. We're just not going to do it. This isn't about us and what takes place inside these walls. We are going to passionately pursue a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that the more we grow in him, the more passionate we will become about sharing him with others. The more you grow in Christ, the more passionate you become about sharing him with other people. And we are going to think and we are going to plan and we're going to prepare and we're going to engage people who are far from Christ. And we're going to think about those who aren't yet here and how we can build relationships and build bridges to reach them with the gospel. In biblical discipleship, one leads to the other. When someone became, becomes a follower of Christ, they grow in their, their relationship with him to be a disciple. And then those disciples go and share the gospel with others who then come to Christ, who grow as disciples. And you see that cycle repeated over and over again. And I had an individual one time catch me and say, you know what, you talk a lot about this, the evangelism and outreach and you know, doing things for those who aren't yet here. But, you know, sometimes you, you don't spend as much time, I don't feel like, in talking about disciples and, and, and caring for those who are already here who are in the church. And it was one of those guided moments. Like, and I still think back to this thing. It's like, Lord, thank you so much for taking control of my tongue that day. Because uh, I can have a, a sharp-edged tongue sometimes. And, and the gist of the conversation, it's not word for word, but I, I, I was very, uh, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, very gently responded with a couple of things to this person. So, first of all, I said, I want you to know I love and care for the church very much, the church universal and this local body of believers. Jesus Christ died for the church and has called me to invest and pour my life into the church. And I love and care for the church very much and the people of the church. And my greatest burden and passion for the people of the church is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. And so I shared that with this person and I said, because I believe what happens is when people grow in their walk with him, They're first of all gonna be moved to tears and then moved to action when they read Luke chapter 15 and see the heart of God and how much he loves lost people, how much he cares for those who are not his children. And I told him, I said, look, discipleship and evangelism go hand in hand. It's not an either or, you know, doing evangelism, doing discipleship. There's a balanced approach to that. I said, but let me ask you something. If you have a time investment, you have an opportunity and you can share the gospel with someone who may give their life to Christ and spend eternity in heaven or spend time ministering and caring with a, with a believer who already knows Christ and is going to go to heaven, what would you do with your time in that moment? And I said, now listen, I, I don't operate from that because it's not always a choice of that. And there are times when the choice is to go and minister and care for those who are saved and who are in time of need. But very clearly there are other times when we share the gospel with other people. But I told him I said this and I still believe this with all of my heart today. If we're not reaching people with the gospel, then our discipleship is broken. If we're not reaching people with the gospel, then our discipleship is broken. So we're gonna evaluate and examine our lives, our church and our ministries and determine whether or not they are helping us fulfill our mission of leading people, evangelism, into a growing relationship, discipleship with Jesus Christ. All that to say, that's why I have been so excited about Courageous, because I believe it is a great resource for helping us engage people in today's culture with the gospel. Because here's the thing, people love stories. People love stories. We have told stories since the beginning of mankind. And stories don't just entertain, stories teach. You know, I often tell stories in my sermons. <coughs> excuse me. And you know, one of the number one comments and some of the, the uh, most common feedback I get about my preaching are the stories that I tell people. say, like, oh yeah, we did that one time or we had that going on. Well, let me tell you how ours went down, that sort of stuff. And, and I don't tell stories to, to fill time or to entertain. I tell stories to help apply and help illustrate Bible truths and what God's word says hoping that as people think of the story they remember oh yeah he told that story but what he was talking about was this and I know what that looks like I've experienced that or when they experience that they'll think about the story and the truth from God's word so the two are there uh, to teach and to illustrate to help apply God's truth and Jesus was a master storyteller Go back and look at Jesus' life and ministry. His number one teaching methodology and strategy was telling stories. We call them parables, and they had a spiritual truth. There were stories, there were illustrations, there were examples that had a spiritual truth. Jesus would tell a story that people understood, and he would always use ideas and concepts, characters and experiences that were common to the average person so that when the average listener sitting there hearing Jesus tell his story, would go, oh yeah, I know what that's like. Okay, I see that. And they would remember the truth that was tied to it. Jesus, one time he told a story, he said, a farmer went out to sow some seed. And they're like, okay, we understand farming. We understand sowing seed. In Luke chapter 15, the the shepherd losing his one sheep and going to find, leaving the 99 to go find the one. People go, okay, yeah, shepherds, they're out there in the field, they care for their sheep, they go, they find the one, they protect it. We, We get the shepherd idea. So Jesus would use what was common and familiar and people would resonate with that. But you know what else Jesus would do sometimes? Jesus would tell a story that was the polar opposite of popular thought or wisdom. And people would go, wait a minute, that's not right. What's he saying? He did not know what he's talking about. Somebody said, what's the the greatest thing in the law to do? I I forget the context. I just totally lost my mind. But Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And they say, well, who's my neighbor? So, you know, Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. You heard me last week talking about Samaritans and the Jews' hatred for them. Jesus says, go and love a Samaritan like this. And they went, what? A Samaritan? A Samaritan? What's wrong with you? We're not gonna love people like that. Or Jesus told the story of the prodigal son where the son had gone off in in, in wild living and living far off in in the distant land. And he came back. And one of the most shocking parts of that story, you may not understand this, but one of the most shocking parts of that parable is the fact that, it, that Jesus says the father ran to his son because men didn't run in that culture and day. And so people here that go, oh, the father ran? That's scandalous. But then think about, think for a second, the father ran to do what? To receive, to show love, to lavish his affection upon his wayward son who left willfully, intentionally, and went and spent his money in in, in wild living. People are gonna hear that and go, what? He ran and he ran to receive that bum back into his household? What are you talking about, Jesus? And so Jesus would tell these stories to shock them, to wake them up and then teach them that what they thought, what they thought they knew was wrong. And then to teach them what was right, God's way and God's Word, and God's truth. And so Courageous is another movie by Sherwood Baptist Church that uses the power of a story. And it's a powerful story to show how our Christian faith can be fleshed out in contemporary culture. They put their, their thumb on the pulse, their finger on the pulse of where people are living in today's culture. And they challenged us through the dialogue and through the context and the settings of that movie to be more faithful and more obedient and more courageous for Jesus Christ. And they didn't give all the answers. It's kind of more like an illustration of how our relationship with Christ uh, should impact our lives. what I wanna do in October is I wanna take some of the themes from the movie and I wanna look at them and I wanna apply some lessons, some principles from the Old Testament, from some Old Testament characters to these themes and these ideas that are presented. And we'll see them handled both, both positively and negatively in our study. One last thing, if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, all right? This is spoiler alert. You're sitting there going, oh man, I haven't seen it yet. Well, I'm not gonna ruin it for you completely. Now, I will, I'll reference some things through the movie, but I'm the guy, when I record like a, a basketball a football game, I don't look on Facebook. I don't take phone calls. I get away from people because I don't want people to tell me the score, you know, because if, if I know the score, I can't watch it and enjoy it, and I'm that way with movies, so I, I won't spoil it for you. I uh, do encourage you to see it. It'll be in theaters at least through the end of this week, maybe another week, depending on how sales go, so really encourage you to do that. But this movie, Courageous Hammers Home, The Issue of Priorities. It will smack you flat between the eyes and cause you to evaluate the priorities in your life. And you see, we make choices in our life based upon our priorities. Sometimes they're spoken priorities, but oftentimes, more often than not, I think, we make choices based on unspoken priorities in our lives. And at one point in the movie, one of the character acknowledges poor priorities and choices in his life, and he says, "I did my side of the dance." And every time I watch that scene, I think about the terrible choices I'm making in prioritizing my own life. One of my kids came up one day and said, dad, I know you're gonna say no, but I'm gonna go ahead and ask you anyway. And I remember thinking in that moment, am I listening to my kids? Am I hearing what they're saying, what they're requesting of me? Or have I moved to a default point in my life where it really doesn't matter what they're going to say. I'm going to say no, because I'm focused on me and my agenda and my time and what I want to do. I mean, I just realized how, how selfish I was with my time and my energy because I, I was telling my kids no all the time because I thought about it and thought, you know what? How many times have I heard my kids say, dad, could we wrestle? Dad, will you play a game with us? God, I don't have time for that. I got, I got big people stuff to do. And I realize, and if you're a parent, you realize they grow up fast. My oldest will be 11 this month. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was just changing his diapers. It feels like two months ago. It's gonna be 11 this month. It happened so fast. And you know what happened as, as I went through that situation and kind of realized where I was falling into these habits? I was mindful of my responses for a few days and I made some changes, but guess what? Life happens and I found myself slipping back into some of those old habits. Now I hope and pray I'm a little more alert and and attentive today than I was then, but we've gotta be vigilant of our priorities. And and it's something that we will battle with all of our lives. And so it's important for us uh, to evaluate our priorities. And in Genesis chapter six, we meet a man who had right priorities and his priorities led to a tremendous blessing from God for both him and his family. Now, let me clarify, this man wasn't perfect, all right? Uh, he had a sin nature. He was alive after Adam and Eve. Uh, and we, we see that sin nature, you know, coming out in his life after uh, the, the flood that we'll see here. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, this idea of generations and the legacy that generations leave becomes very clear. Genesis 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I've made them. Man, aren't you glad we live in a generation where that can't be said of us? Oh, wait a second. Maybe that can be a pretty accurate description in a lot of ways of the generation in which we live. You know, sometimes I think we're tempted to think, well, the Bible, it's written way long time ago and people lived in different situations and had different things going on. Then, then what can it apply to us? How, how does it, you know, uh, flesh out where we live today? Well, according to that passage of scripture, things are eerily similar today as they were in the days of Noah. But here's the first thing that we could learn from Noah. In a difficult, godless, sinful environment, you can walk with God, even if no one else does. That's my challenge for us today. It's actually what God expects of us, that we walk with him, even if no one else does. Look at verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, why? Why did Noah find favor? in God's eyes. Verse 9 starts to tell us, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You see, it's reverse order. We get the descriptions of Noah, righteous and blameless. Why? Because he walked with God. And those two significant words describe Noah, I want us to, to kind of dig into a little bit this morning. First is righteous, the word righteous. Noah was de- described as a righteous man. And the word righteous is defined as being characterized by uprightness or morality or someone who is morally right or justifiable. And, and biblically, we think of righteousness as this, to be in right standing with God. So Noah, as righteous, was in right standing with God, and he lived a moral, uh, upright life before people in his day. Now, again, that's not saying that Noah was without sin. After the flood, he evidenced that very clearly. But you see, the New Testament tells us that Noah had a saving faith in God because he looked forward to salvation that was made possible through Jesus Christ. Noah wasn't righteous in and of himself because he made right choices and good decisions. He believed in God and he trusted that one day God would make all things right, that God would cover over his sinfulness, which God did through Jesus Christ. He believed in the righteousness that was to come. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, as we remember through communion, God applied that. To Noah. He was covered with the righteousness of Christ. It was not his own righteousness. Because here's the thing, as we think about being righteous before God, you have nothing to bargain with when it comes to having a right relationship with God. The Bible tells us that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. So think about standing before God one day and saying, God, you know, how about we negotiate here a little bit? How about you give me entrance into heaven how about you forgive me of my sins? How about you uh, give me eternal life? How about you coming and dwell within me in the form of the Holy Spirit? And God says, okay, I think we can work out. I, I think I may be willing to, to give those things to you. What, 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 uh, what do you have to bargain with? Well, what's gonna be my side of the trade here? And we say, look, I've got a basket full of dirty laundry. Filthy, dirty rags my my clothes covered in soil covered in mud covered in dirt is that good enough to trade for forgiveness of my sins eternal life the holy spirit living within me you think that's going to get you very far That's what the bible says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags but here's the thing jesus christ lived a perfect sinless blameless life and he died to pay the price for our sins. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't want, you can't give me anything. You don't have anything to bargain with. I don't want anything anything from you. What I desire for you is to admit that you've sinned. I want you to believe that my death death was for you. I want you to turn from your sins, be empty of yourself so that I can come in and live within you and take control of your life. That's what I want you to do. I want you to give me control, empty yourself of you and let me fill you. And then I will bring my righteousness. I will give you my righteousness and I will take your sins, your filthy, dirty rags. And then when the father looks at you, he will see my righteousness, not your sinfulness. Noah didn't have righteousness in himself. You don't either. You won't have righteousness in and of yourself, but you can have it through Jesus Christ. If you will admit and turn from your sins, believe that Christ died for you and invite him into your life to take control of your life and give him authority and control of your life. And then God calls you, once you've given your life to Christ, to live out your righteousness, to live out your life in obedience to him, even in a wicked and depraved generation, and even if no one else does. And you know, that's a huge part of the courageous life is doing what is right, doing what is right according to God's standards, even if no one else does. That second word used to describe Noah is blameless. He was blameless. He, he couldn't, be, there, were, there weren't accusations, people couldn't say negative of him because of his life, his righteousness, his living, living morally and upright before God and before people, he was called blameless. And you see, Courageous challenges us to evaluate our priorities. And I, 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 evaluate, I encourage you to evaluate your priorities in being blameless before God. That is incredibly important, being blameless before God. Remember, God is our audience. We serve him and him only. God is the one that we should seek to please. His is the only approval that you or I should care about. Because when you walk with God and you try to please him above all else, people aren't going to understand your life and your decisions and the choices that you make. And people may ridicule you for the choices and the decisions and the actions and the behaviors that you do or don't do in your life. Ridicule will likely come as you live your life for Christ. People may mock you as you stand and live your life for Jesus Christ. And they may say all kinds of mean and nasty and terrible things about you because of it. But it doesn't matter as long as you are walking with God and trying to live blamelessly before him you know, thinking and talking about parenting a little bit, if you're trying to raise godly children, you're gonna make choices and decisions that many people in the world will scoff at. Look at, why are you doing that? Because you may not allow your children to watch certain shows or movies uh, or, or cartoons. And they'll be smarter for it, right? SpongeBob SquarePants, by, by you not you know, allowing some of these things in. And you may not let your kids go to some activities and say, you know what? Well, I don't feel like there's gonna be parental supervision or it's just not a good environment, too much temptation. They're not mature enough to handle it right now. And the things that they may see and experience there, just not gonna let them go. And you may limit uh, their access to the internet or internet-ready devices. You may not let them listen to certain musicians because of the things that they sing about in their songs or the lifestyle that they live. I mean, a whole lot of things. And think about the horrible, terrible things people will say about you as a parent because of how you're shielding and sheltering your child because you say, you know what? They're not spiritually ready. They're, they're not you know, mature in their discernment. Their, their biblical worldview is not formed in them. So I'm not gonna put them out in front of these wolves with a meat suit on. You know that degree commercial with Bear Grylls putting the meat suit on? That's what it's like sometimes us sending our kids out in the world before they're ready, you know, out into the wolves wearing a meat suit. Why would we do that? And people will look at you and say, well, you're crazy for not letting your kids do this stuff, but who cares? Living a courageous life means not caring what the world thinks. You're going to answer to God one day, not a jury of your peers. And you're going to give an account for your life, your choices, your decisions, and men, your families. It's your leadership in the home that God's going to call you to account for when that time comes. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks as long as you are doing what God has called you to do and you are walking with him. And that's what Noah did. Our second challenge for today is to do what we see in Noah's life. It's to obey God above all else. Obey God above all else. God told Noah he was gonna destroy the earth through a flood and he told Noah to build a huge boat. This is awesome. So Noah starts building this boat and you've got to grasp this. This was a massive a massive vessel. It's not the, oops, I built it too small so the giraffe's head sticks out the top and the other animals are hanging out the window, children's version that we so often see, all right? It wasn't like that at all. I think we have maybe an image up here. That's the wrong one. That is like an artist's rendition as uh, more to scale. You can see on the very bottom of that where the ladder is, there's a person down there. I mean, you look at just kind of give an idea of scale. If that's an average, you know, you know normal person, how big... That boat was. It was huge. So you know what Noah couldn't do? He didn't work on this in his garage at night like he's rebuilding a classic car, and then one day rolls it out and go, "Hey guys, look at my boat." I mean, it's out in public. Everybody and their brother could see this thing, and they hear constantly. Noah's building this boat. People go, "Hey Noah, what are you building?" "I'm building a boat." "Why are you building a boat?" "Because God says it's going to rain." The first time the word rain is used in Genesis comes in chapter six, many scholars believe they never had rain until the flood starts. So here's Noah building a boat, and he tells people it's going to rain, and they go, Rain, what's that? And Noah says, Well, little drops of water are going to fall from the sky. And I can see some wise guy going, Well, if it's little drops of water, isn't this huge boat a little overkill there, dude? You know, maybe they'd even seen a boat. I mean, so you just think about the ridicule. And the mockery that's taken place as Noah is building this massive, massive boat that's built for lots of water and handling rough conditions. So here's Noah giving his time and his effort to this, all the ridicule. But you know what? He was being obedient to what God had called him to. And people won't understand. They won't agree with what you do or don't do as you walk with God and you obey Him on your journey through life. But you know what? God's not concerned with what others think of your walk and your obedience to Him, and you shouldn't be either. It's Jesus' life. Jesus said, I'm come, I'm, I'm obeying the Father. You guys don't like it? I'm going to obey the Father. The disciples. Called to court, trial, standing before uh, you know, judges and the jury in their day say, you know what, do what you want to. We must obey God rather than men. Walking in obedience to God. Now, you know this story. The rains came, the waters rose and only Noah and his family were spared. God destroyed all but eight people in this flood because of sin and then promised that he would never do it again. And for that we go, whew, it's rained a lot here recently, but it's not to this proportion, all right? Noah walked with God in a wicked, sinful generation. He was called righteous and blameless. And here's what I wanna drive home. I want you to remember this today. His family was saved as a result. His family was saved as a result. God is calling his children to live courageous lives for him in our generation? Will you accept that call? Will you walk with God? Will you listen to him? Will you learn from him? And most importantly, will you obey him regardless of what others say or think? Here's the thing, being courageous doesn't mean that you you have no fear. Being courageous means you, you recognize your fear and you let God help you overcome your fear and still do what you need to do anyway. Yeah, we're going to experience fear. No one's going to be free from that. Our kids all the time, we'll try to get them to do this. I'm scared, I'm scared. It's okay to be scared, but we want you to go ahead, you know, trust God, get through it. You'll be fine. Mom and dad aren't going to put you in a truly dangerous situation. You know, that's how we did the whole thing with roller coasters. I'm scared to ride this. Oh, you'll be fine. You know, we think, you know, obviously we're not going to put our kids in a situation that's going to end. You're going to be fine. Work through the fear, overcome it. And be faithful and obedient to what God has called you to do. So are you willing to be courageous for Christ, regardless of what others think? Will you walk with Christ and do what he calls you to do, even if no one else does? And church, I want you to reflect and think this week. Are you giving your best, your all to your family? Are your priorities in the right place when it comes to your family? If there's one place that we need to be courageous, it's in establishing God-honoring priorities in our homes and with our families. If we're gonna protect it and save it like Noah did, we're gonna have to be courageous. We're gonna have to have some tough conversations, make some tough decisions. People may not understand it. They may not like it. But if we save our families... And we deliver them as faithful servants before God to where he says one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Haven't we done the most important thing? Haven't we done what was right before God, regardless of what others may think? Will you make Christ a priority in his life this morning? Receive his righteousness and become a child of God. Walk in his righteousness like Noah walked with God. Will you obey him and the commands? that he sets before you today. Let's pray.